player two, you're awake. I'm Kitty M, the All Geek. I'm your guide through the land of Pod, the geekscape that feeds from the geeky energies of your world. This week, the land is buzzing with all the DC news from Titans to Young Justice and why we should be shipping Wonder Woman and Aquaman. There's also some comic book reviews of The Drowned and Kid Lobotomy. And don't get too excited, but I may be able to get us aboard a spaceship so we can talk about Star Trek. Ooh, we'll also be talking about The Rock's anti-superhero movie and what that has to do with Shazam. And the Animal Crossing pocket game is already out, so I'm going to be boasting about that for a little bit. But first, I'm going to tell you about how we're on the verge of a robot apocalypse. Come on, it'll be fun. Let's roll. Player two, come in, take a seat. I got all our quests off the notice board and some news in the land of pod. So this is really hilarious, right? So an AI robot made a joke about how we're all taking Elon Musk's warnings about the dangers of AI way too seriously. All we have to do is be nice to them and they'll be nice to us, is what the robot basically said. And everyone laughed. Oh, how they laughed. But literally, have you seen the way people talk to printers? As the great Skeletor once said, I am not nice. And that goes for all of us. The AI didn't say, oh, I'm following Asimov's three rules of robotics, so it'll be fine, meatbags. The robot was all eye for an eye. Be nice to me because, oh yeah, I'm probably modular, which means I can just replace my eye after you rip it out for the giggles. And I'm replacing it with a death ray, you psychos. People are lolling it up and there's a chip in the Pixel 2 that everyone says is just for the camera to be good. But what if it's not? What if it's for the phone to be evil? What if this is just G-Force all over again? You know, the movie with the hamsters who save us from toasters? But before the world implodes into a mechanical hellscape, that Black Panther trailer was really good, right? If you did love the trailer and if you didn't, where are your feelings? And you want a good intro to the world of Black Panther? I think World of Wakanda by Roxane Gay is the best way to do it. It talks about the political structures, class struggles, and how Wakanda got to be the most powerful. I think it's an interesting take on the world and on the role of Black Panther as a leader of his people. It's not all about Black Panther, but again, a nice introduction. Speaking of cats, if you want to be one but like an actual cat, the RPG Cat Quest is finally coming to PS4 in November. You get to go rescue a princess and probably defeat a dragon or something. Will it be as good as Catastrophe where you're a cat destroying a house? No one knows. But I say, no it won't be. That was an awesome game. And it's not just Black Panther we should be getting excited about. As Justice League gets closer, there's another superhero who we're starting to learn more about, Aquaman. They wrapped the movie just recently, and news is we're getting the full Aquaman story. Which one they go with will be interesting, given there's a few changes to the origin story that we can choose from. It'll probably most likely be the one from New 52, though. And while I promise I'm excited for Amber Heard as Mira, I'm more excited for Nicole Kidman, because it's Nicole Kidman, and she deserves 
deserves all the things. She was great in Golden Compass and that was an excellent movie and we should have had more of them. The really important thing in the Aquaman movie, of course, will be Jason Momoa, who's been killing it since Stargate Atlantis. And they've just released new Justice League posters which prominently feature Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Now, there could be multiple reasons for this, not least because Ben Affleck is not exactly the world's darling right now, if ever he was, let's face it, he never was, but at least he's back in rehab and I hope getting on the right path because I like him as Batman. I just want to be able to like him as a person. But here's the reason I've chosen to believe that they are prominently featured and it's because Aquaman and Wonder Woman are totally going to make out. I have been shipping Aquaman and Wonder Woman for a while and here's why. Aquaman is basically just Superman, but cooler because he can control the ocean and Superman cannot and Superman is a goody two-shoes and Aquaman's just cool. So, Aquaman is a perfect fit for the awesomeness of Wonder Woman. Also, it's canon. Yes, they've been involved before, because Wonder Woman is a strong, independent woman uh, who has no problems having fun with her fellow Justice League members. And more power to that lady. I'd be making out with a whole heap of them too. Though I am kind of hoping she has a girlfriend in the next few movies, because that would be awesome. The DC love doesn't stop there, though. The Teen Titans TV show, known just as Titans, is coming to screens near us at some point. I don't know where or when. I have to say I didn't care about it that much until DC announced that Ryan Potter is going to be coming on as Beast Boy. I always thought Ryan Potter would make for a great Tim Drake, but there's even more DC news. This time, our favourite kid superhero... Billy Batson, who has very little to do with the Bat family, really. You'd think that they tie them in more together, but you know what? We'll get to that. As well as some comic reviews. Oh, and the new Animal Crossing game on your phone? I have so much more to tell you from the Notice Board Player too, but I promise we'll be back to the tavern soon. First, let's beam aboard a spaceship, but we should go outside. It freaks out the trolls, not because they don't understand the science of it, it's because they strictly enforce the laws of physics, the actual laws to them. So, technically illegal as far as they're concerned. Come on, let's go. Player two, we're on a spaceship. Starfleet spaceship, because if we were on a Klingon spaceship, we'd probably get eaten. You would. I would definitely give you up to the Klingons. No question about it. We're here to talk about Star Trek Discovery. What's that play to? You're not a Trekkie. Wow. This is going to be uncomfortable for you then, because I am loving Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> I keep seeing haters, but I feel like maybe they miss the point of Star Trek in the very beginning. We get it. They're not exploring space and other planets the way you'd like. It's because there's a war going on that tends to drain resources and make going new places kind of difficult. I know. How boring. And if anyone had ever bothered to pay attention to episode 5, and yes, I know they swore in that episode, that felt forced and weird and I hope they don't do it again. Don't get me wrong, player 2, while you may never hear me swear, I do like to, it was just wrong coming from Starfleet officers, especially those two characters. Swearing does not an edgy or disturbing show make. Torturing a sentient being so you can go faster, however, that is disturbing. So I was a little surprised to see more outcry about a swear word and not the torture. Back to episode 5 for a moment. Choose your pain. What a great and deep name 
for that episode. First, this is the first time that Boldly Go has been uttered in this entire series, I'm sure of it. And by Harry Mudd, no less. I think that's meant to tell you something. Maybe it's because that as far as the Discovery are concerned, they can no longer go boldly. They have to be careful because, again, war going on. But I think it's also because Starfleet is still new, and Humans in Space is still fairly new. And unless you skipped every history lesson ever, you know that when people go exploring, it doesn't always end well. And I think that's one of the things this series is trying to do. It's trying to show you that side. This is a series about the other side of exploration. The side of it that's constantly dangerous because you're ill-prepared and quite frankly not grown up enough to be wandering around by yourself. It also gives credence to the concerns voiced by countless other races within the universe when they encounter humans. Because humans are the bratty teens who don't understand why everyone else is being boring and everyone else is like, look, look man, they make you pay bills in the real world. Also, you have to wear an iron shirt like every day. No, not an iron shirt. That would be cool, but I assume would cause blisters. An ironed shirt. You have to look presentable. Episode 5 had a great many themes in it, not least the resilience of Lorca in the high-stress situations and the strength of Saru's abilities when it really counted. My only real sadness came about when it came to the lack of compassion by the Federation, but that was probably the point. The Easter eggs, though. References to some of the greatest captains in the timeline so far, hints at the eugenics wars, and even more credence to the idea of a mirror universe. In Episode 7, the idea that the Discovery is not like the Enterprise is built on because they literally mentioned the Enterprise. See, by the time Picard's team gets around to it, things have settled down considerably, so I understand that. That's in the future. But Kirk's team doesn't experience nearly as much wartime activity either. And I think that's what they were trying to do in Episode 6, make the distinction between an Enterprise vessel and one like the Discovery. The Discovery isn't about meeting new and interesting people. It's a warship now. They generally do not meet people in the confines of politeness as expected by our society. They blow people up. There's so much more. Exploration of Spock's childhood and his father's hopes for him, his father's sacrifices for him, the idea of logic radicals who seek to keep Vulcan pure. And the idea of racial purity is strong throughout this series, and I think that's a theme that's going to continue to be explored. And it makes sense. Michael's got a constant battle of being raised with a foot in two worlds. This is something Star Trek has been able to do time and time again, which is to bring real-world struggles into the science fiction genre. Best, for me, was the issue of PTSD and the idea of camaraderie by those who've served together. Those issues hit close to home for me. So I'm glad they're touching on the effects of war on the people who fight them. They've done this before in Star Trek, the PTSD that Picard experiences after being captured by the Borg, for instance. It's an important message, and I hope they handle it gracefully. As much as I like Lorca being a hardened individual, just as much I would like for him to not just be seen as a guy on the verge of going blood simple. They could do a lot of good by treating issues like PTSD with respect. So you see, player two? plenty of exploration in Star Trek Discovery. Just gotta look at something other than the stars. And we're gonna have another series to explore even other things because series two was just given the green light. Is that cool? No? Okay, fine. Let's go talk about comic books. I know a hotel with a pretty kick and bar. Come on, let's go. This is a pretty swinging bar, huh? Player two. I know how to take you places. 
Even if you didn't think that spaceship was cool. I mean, we were in space and this is just a bar. Whatever. Luddite. What I will get you to do, though, is try not to make eye contact with anyone here. They have some strange appetites. We're here to talk about comic books. See, every week there's new comic books. In Australia, most Thursdays are new comic book day. If ever you want to check out what's coming out and you have Twitter, you can search the hashtag NCBD and find a whole heap of tweets about the new stuff that's out. Sometimes the shipments come out early and you can grab the new comic books on a Wednesday. For me, unless I'm following a particular arc or series that I think needs support but might not be as popular, I don't buy comics every week. Example, Super Sons. I'll go and buy them whenever I can because it's a hell of a series that isn't getting talked about enough. It's about John Kent and Damian Wayne. Very cool introduction to the DC Universe through the eyes of the sons of two of the best-known superheroes in the world. Also, I've noticed John Kent is appearing on a lot of the covers of the Superman comic, so it might be nice for you to learn a little bit about him. Also, it's a good series. Just pick it up. Last week was special, though. Not only because it was the very first issue of Kid Lobotomy from Black Crown, it was also the week that The Drowned made her first real debut as part of the Batman metal arc. Some of those words might not have made much sense to you. Don't worry, player two. All will be revealed. And you might be wondering why I'm telling you about week-old comics. That's because you can still buy them, dummy. Also, Black Crown have their quarterly out this week, and the latest one in the Black Metal Dark Knights is out as well. It's the Merciless. It's amazing. It's if Wonder Woman was a lot more built. But let's just start by talking about The Drowned. You might remember a few weeks back, I cosplayed as an angry-looking mix of Aquaman and Batman, but if they were a lady and really super angry. It was honestly the most fun I've had being a cosplayer for a while now. It was all because of Greg Capullo, who is one of my favourite comic artists, and he'd released a working sketch of some mysterious woman a little while back, and I just couldn't help but be her. She was called The Drowned, and I found out she was part of a Justice League made up of Dark Knights from other dimensions, whose worlds have fallen to disrepair and chaos. In the current DC Universe, there's an arc referred to as DC Metal. It's mainly being written by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, making all the pretty pictures. Pretty may not be the best descriptor for his work, to be completely honest with you. DC Metal deals with the multiverse aspect of the DC Universe. It poses questions about what happens when a heroic character walks a less than heroic path. What happens when they come up against an enemy that's too strong so they have to make more sacrifices than just their social life? What happens when the darkness they harness and utilize in battle against their enemy becomes the only way they can continue to live to fight for their world? I know, it's deep. That's where this twisted Justice League comes in. They're all Batman. Same motivations, different paths. Paths Batman didn't have to walk. And these guys, they're angry. They're being hailed as the Dark Knights. And each one gets their own tie-in to the story of DC Metal. The Drowned came out on October 18th, so I picked her up. I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but this is a pretty brutal issue. Jason Fabok and Brad Anderson do the cover on this, and it's the best introduction to her as a character. After you've read the comic, it means so much more to see her like this. But it does set her up properly. This strong, dangerous, unyielding, self-made goddess of the ocean. Philip Tan and Tyler Kirkham are the artists on this, on the inside. Sometimes the cover art is not what's in the inside, so in this case, definitely don't judge books by their cover. My main concern with this would be the art. 
that the Drowned would be drawn like most other lady superheroes and villains, as in she'd be sexy. I've said before, I don't have a personal problem with sexy, it's fine, but it's not me. And I needed the Drowned to not be sexy. I needed her to be hard and evil, and perhaps even ugly. Philip Tan and Tyler Kirkham don't disappoint. And in one part where they could have totally gone for a shot of nakedity or even weakness on the part of the character, they chose not to. And I appreciate that. Her poses are strong and thick, and I think fitting for the character she's portraying. Mira also appears in this, and her poses, her clothing, much more sexy. This makes for a clever juxtapositioning of both characters and more interesting set of frames. It means it's not just the same person fighting themselves, but with different hair colour. It's two very different people. In this case, two incredibly powerful women teeing off against one another. That's the kind of clash you want to see. If Batman and Superman had the same body type, the same expressions, it would be boring to see them fight. Same thing happening here. Dean White and Arif Prianto are in charge of the colours here. They've done a great job. They've chosen the right combinations. There's battles happening under the water, which probably isn't surprising to you. So I was thinking this will probably be the same basic shades of green and blue. But they've gone a different way with it. It's still a pretty murky world, but their choice of colours means it's easy to stare at one frame or an entire splash page for an extended period of time. They use the colours to make the background interesting. The writer on this is Dan Abnett, and he does good. The feeling I got from the first picture of the drum was this unbelievable wave of rage. She's not just angry, it's, it's rage infecting and driving every being of her character. Abnet infuses that into every word, which is by no means easy. You get a character that feels one emotion so strongly that it blocks out almost everything else, and you run the risk of making it sound cheap. Abnet doesn't. And finally, the letterers. A good letterer can make or break a comic. It's the smallest part, usually, but ultimately the most important to telling a good story. Art can be amazing. Storylines can be mind-blowing. But what's the point of any of them if I can't read the words? Tom Napolitano is the one in charge of the letters for this. The fonts are perfect for the characters, though I have read some pushback about the red lettering, but I like it. In fact, the colours of the words is the kind of small detail that lets you know they've really thought about this. The red lettering especially. It's bloody. You can feel how the red is in that character's mouth coding their words. Notice in all of this I haven't actually told you what happens in The Drowned. That's because I want you to go out and buy it. And while you're there, pick up Kid Lobotomy. Very different style of comic on this one. Not from the big two, meaning DC and Marvel. It's from Black Crown, a new imprint from IDW, headed up by Shelley Bond, who is a legend in comics. The stories from Black Crown, the label, come from characters who live on a street where a pub with the same name exists which is a cool concept for a universe. The world opens up to us with the debut of its first, Kid Lobotomy. And what a first child to have. Kid runs a hotel where people go to feel better, a retreat in some ways from the madness outside and within. And Kid has some, well, the kid's got issues. It's written by Peter Milligan, and I was worried. 
not because Milligan isn't any good, but because of the way everyone was talking about his story. Whenever we get something slightly different that makes references to something like philosophers, articles pop up describing these stories as a mesh of insert descriptors that don't go together, but this is a fusion of all those things, you Luddites, if you don't get what I'm putting down. I don't think I'm incredibly stupid. Still up for debate. But I also don't want to have to work so hard to understand what everyone's talking about that I lose track of the story. I get that that works for some people, but that's not me. And luckily, this story is not that. There's probably loads of references I didn't get. The only reason I understood some of the Kafka references is because I occasionally drop into a philosophy hole and don't want to get out, and it depresses me. I should stop reading philosophy books. But even if I hadn't known who Kafka was, the way Milligan writes makes me want to know. The veiled references make you hungry for more of that stuff to be injected into your grey matter, which I hope is just an ironic thing given the contents of Kid Lobotomy. My main draw to this story, though, was Tess Fowler. I loved her work in Rat Queens, and she draws nose as well. In this, she's done some exceptional work. Issue A cover art is Tess Fowler and Tamara Bonvillian, and it's something you'll look at for ages, trying to work out what it is you're being set up for, and it's worth it. These two are a great fit of artists together. Cover art B is from Frank Quietly, and it's a much different feel, but very grungy, probably more hinting at a darker undertones of this story, and also kind of looking like cover art for an album, a punk album, about resisting the authority. I picked up both because I love variants. Aditya Bidika is on the letters and makes big concepts easy to read. The spacing, the sizing, all things I couldn't hope to do in a million years, so I'm incredibly jealous. Lee Luridge does the colours on this, and the palette is widely ranged but not too vibrant. And sometimes it's nice to have psychedelic, but what Luridge does is save that vibrancy for when it's most needed. If you're a fan of Ghosted or Nailbiter, then this story should be right up your alley, so to speak. But it's definitely not one for the kids, or for people who don't want something messed up. It's so messed up. Anyway, player two, we better get out of here. That kid over there is looking hungry. Want to hear about The Rock's new project? He's one of my favourite subjects. Come on, let's go. Player two, I hope you're not claustrophobic because right now we are in the depths of Land of Pod. We're on the cannon. Without the cannon, the entire world might just drift into nothingness. So you've got to be really, really careful. Don't touch anything because I've brought you here for a very important reason, player two. Shazam. Shazam movie director David Sandberg has gone on Twitter to basically say he's expecting pushback from fans of the well-loved franchise. You don't know about Shazam? Didn't know there were fans of it? Well, there are player two. You know how when Paul Rudd was cast as Ant-Man and a whole lot of people were like, who? And then pretended he was a really stupid character because they didn't know how cool Ant-Man could be? I'm going to help you to not be like them by teaching you some stuff about the Shazam storylines and one very special guy in particular. The guy who's the main villain in the Shazam Captain Marvel stories. The Lex Luthor. The Ares. The Black Manta. His name is Black Adam. 
and The Rock is slated to play him in a Black Adam movie. See, Black Adam is totally a bad guy. But I think it's important to note that just because someone's a bad guy, they're often only that way when judged by the morals of the hero's perspective. It should come as no surprise to you, player two, that I like the bad guys most of the time. They're more relatable than most of the heroes, who, to be honest, are really quite judgmental. Black Adam is the kind of bad guy you might find yourself getting behind as well, which is why I'm going to use him to tell you about the Shazam universe. He is closely linked with Captain Marvel. In fact, without him, would Captain Marvel exist? The answer is no. Captain Marvel is a superhero who's a 10-year-old boy. Much like when Eric eats banana and becomes Banana Man, who goes on to fight Apple Man, Billy Batson utters the word Shazam, and an ancient Egyptian power turns him into Captain Marvel, whose powers are not so dissimilar from Superman's. Black Adam is the Apple Man to Billy's Banana Man. The story goes like this. Back in the time of the pharaohs, there was a high wizard called Shazam. And he was looking for someone to take his powers on once he's gone. Along came a young man called Teth Adam. The stories about Teth Adam's origins are different. In the New 52 universe, he was a slave. In earlier stories, he's the son of Ramses II, or just a priest. But the ending was the same no matter what. When Shazam the Wizard gifted Teth Adam his powers, instead of just getting the standard run-of-the-mill totally super awesome powers, Teth Adam received the power of all of the gods. Because Blaze, the daughter of Shazam, had done a deal. Blaze is also responsible for a whole heap of bad guys who go up against Superman. She's like the Lilith to Superman, which Bible mythology nerd me is so happy about. Anyway, Teth Adam gets some great superpowers and he became the champion of the Pharaoh and his people. But things didn't really run to plan. As the many years went on, Adam's home country of Kandark became oppressed by its government. Teth Adam overthrew the government and put himself in place of leadership. Shazam... The wizard, thinking Teth Adam had gone mad with power, threw him out of our universe and into another, rendering him inert. Other stories say that Teth Adam was being corrupted by Blaze and was trying to rule over all of Egypt. No matter the story, Adam was locked away, but eventually he was brought back. Rituals or archaeological digs, no one is sure. But when he did come back, Shazam the wizard had to bestow his powers on another champion, creating Captain Marvel. When Black Adam came back, he was not happy. He became the ruler of Kandark again, and this time he was not a good one. But someone changed his mind. A woman, who was given to him as a slave, spoke out against his dictatorship-style rule to his face. And she changed his mind. He gave her the powers of Isis, and then later they travelled the land, freeing slaves, trying to make the world a better place. Eventually, he fell in love with her, and they got married, becoming the true meaning of the word power couple. They even hung out with the Justice Society for a bit. But the problem, as always, is how the Justice Society decided to deal out their punishments. As an aside, Black Adam's old school, because he's thousands of years old, probably. I, I would bet that he was around when the phrase eye for an eye was being invented and people were like, do you think this is going to catch on? And everyone's like, no, it's just a buzz phrase and they were wrong. And tradition is hard to break. So Black Adam created his own league. And that's the story of Black Adam. 
He's not that different in many respects to characters like Cable. Effectively, these guys are gods walking amongst men and they're not beholden to any of the limitations that normal humans face. Also, they've seen what humanity is capable of. And if we're really being honest with ourselves, we're not great. We're getting off easy if the upholders of justice are just the Justice Society and the Justice League, you know? So that's the cool thing about Black Adam. While he does do terrible things, he usually does them out of vengeance for terrible things happening in the first place. I'm in no way saying that's a moral model on which to build your life, but Black Adam is a much more morally grey character than he is an out-and-out bad guy. It's kind of like if Punisher was a god. Also, The Rock is going to be amazing as this guy. For instance, the Scorpion King was a bad guy, but then when you knew the story that came before the legend, you understood why he does what he does. And The Rock is good at playing that sort of character who is morally ambiguous at times. I hope that the movie Black Adam puts things in perspective and context. That would make for a full-bodied character, not just some do-gooder like Superman. This is, of course, only a snapshot of Black Adam, so I encourage you to read up on him. If you have geeklets in your life, the Billy Batson and the Magic of Shazam is a good place to start. But these, like all superhero stories, can get adult, so keep an eye out for your geeklet. And, fun fact, in the new Justice League trailer, we do see a lot of bugs. Yes, it could be the Reek, but you know who else has stuff to do with beetles and scarabs and universes that aren't ours? And is totally into taking over the entire world? Black Adam. Now with that dark thought. Come on, player two. Let's go stare at our phones. And don't touch that. That, that cannon is actually responsible for the oxygen. We are in the woods player too, but only so we can talk about the Animal Crossing Pocket Camp game, which was totally meant to be released late November. But you could pre-register to play it, so I did, because nerd. And in the strangest of fortunes, because being in Australia generally means paying more for geekery while getting it after everyone else, it was available to play here. So I have been. And that's probably why we're a little late coming to the land of pod. <laughs> It's definitely why the portals didn't open. Okay, the portals were open and I've been playing Animal Crossing on my phone this whole time and you don't pay me at all and certainly not with enough praise for me to feel guilty about not doing this sooner. I'm only up to level 10 and so far I haven't had to splash real cash, but the temptation is there. The idea is you have to grow your own campsite, make friends with other campers, entertain and do jobs for them which in the real world would be horrible because I hate camping, people, entertaining them and running errands. But it's more interesting if it's on your phone and it means you don't actually have to interact with anyone. If you already liked Animal Crossing to begin with, it's exactly what you want. The movement is smooth, it doesn't seem to suck up data when you're not on Wi-Fi, and while I was downloading an update file, it let me play a minigame to pick up more bells, which is basically money. Also, the battery life seems to be pretty good on it, but keep your charger handy. The only problem I had was thinking that the screen had frozen after my bags got full, because I'm a hoarder when it comes to games, but actually it was just trying to prompt me to sell some stuff. I'm running it on an Oppo, which is far from the most advanced phone out there, but the graphics are good and I've had few to no problems. It does require being online the whole time, which 
is a little worrying. You can trade with other players in-game and it helps if you make friends with people in the game because they can help you achieve certain things. There's timed goals, customization of the campsite and the character, though I get the feeling you're stuck with whichever gender you choose in the beginning, which is a bit boring to be honest. Added bonus is that each one of the campers is basically someone on Twitter in that they're all horribly awkward and depressed but hiding it with burbling cute voices and exclamation marks. It's a great game and it's free to download so if you can play it too, get on it. Oh, hey, been walking so long we made it back to the city. Let's go inside the tavern, see if there's any more news on the notice board. Hey look! While we were out exploring, these new things came in on the notice board. It looks like Gareth Evans is going to be directing the Deathstroke movie. He's the guy that did The Raid. There's a good chance that Deathstroke will be appearing in the Justice League movie too, which is cool. He's actually the character that Deadpool is meant to be a parody of. Deathstroke is also meant to appear in the Batman movie, but there's no word on whether that's still happening. Adult Swim have called out people who have Rick and Morty looping on YouTube by making their own Rick and Morty marathon and directly asking people to stop watching it on YouTube. Come on, guys. It's really simple. You can watch them on Netflix or on Adult Swim's website or just buy the Blu-ray or DVD. But YouTube? Why? Shouldn't you be supporting the creators of the thing that you love and makes you go crazy for Szechuan sauce, which... That wasn't the point of the Szechuan sauce. It's a really simple concept. I don't get why people aren't getting into it. Uh, while you're on your phone downloading the Animal Crossing game that I told you to download because you really value my opinion, you should also log into Pokemon Go. You can get a Mimikyu hat for your little avatar person, which, which is cute and scary at the same time. Also, Gen 3 batches out there, so get on that for Halloween. Tremors has five new cast members in it. Tremors is this great trilogy about ancient worms that eat people and then they evolve and become things called arse blasters. And it's a, it's a beautiful circle of life. It's being turned into a TV series and will star one of its original heroes, Kevin Bacon, who is actually the only Bacon I approve of. That's all play too. I might be back for some Halloween fun, but we'll just have to see how fun Halloween is here in the Land of Pod. It's very exclusive. You might not be invited. If you are celebrating, remember to be safe and respectful and don't, don't do the cultural appropriation or blackface stuff. I mean, I know you won't, but just Google it first, just in case, you know? I'd love to see your Halloween costumes, though, so head to the Facebook page, KittyM and Land of Pod. Throw them up there. Not throw them up. That would be weird. Don't regurgitate photos. It's, why did you eat them in the first place? I don't understand. I'm also on Twitter at ChaosKittyM and Land of Pod is at Land of Pod. Rate this podcast, refer friends to it, or better your enemies who don't know they're your enemies. So you tell them it's good and then they listen and then they feel bad if they tell you this is bad. So they have to keep listening. Until next time, player two.